Hey, what's going on, Sully? Hey, what's poppin', Wayne? How we living, bro? Not too bad. Hey, I saw that Boston College has come out and said that they will not accept a bull invite if they get one. And I'm like, dude, you're five and four. It's kind of like me saying, hey, if Margot Robbie asked me out, I'm not saying yes. <laughs> exactly. This is wild. And it, it's what's cra even crazier is like, you know, they get money for these events and, and the promotion and obviously the recruiting aspect. And I mean, this only hurts the program. I don't understand it at all. But hey, it's Boston College. You know what I mean? We have a huge interview for you. I hope you guys are tuning in right now uh, because of the promotion that we put out there about our guests. It's going to be really exciting. I'm going to jump right into our video, get through our introduction, and then we're going to have uh, Anthony Duckett come on to talk some Houston sports with us. Yo, buddy. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. going on Sully another episode of Infinity Sports welcome everybody big show today we've got a huge interview and then we're going to talk some Sully's top prospects what do you think about that you know it's going to be a good one too we got uh we got some quarterbacks in this list finally now obviously if you are watching us you're probably watching us on YouTube live Facebook live or Twitter if you miss any part of the show you can find us on iTunes Spotify Stitcher Amazon Music as well as find a replay of the video show on YouTube the following day. I do encourage you to do that because there are a lot of graphics and videos that we do play that you would miss out on just listening to the show. We are also on social media at Infinity Sports Podcast on Facebook, at Infinity Sports Podcast on Instagram, and at Sports Infinity 5 on Twitter. If you don't want to remember any of those things, just remember infinitysportspodcast.com. Links to every one of those social media sites is there, as well as links to the streams on YouTube. As I mentioned, we have a huge huge interview today. It is brought to you by Invader Coffee. Invader Coffee is a great sponsor of the show. Definitely go to the site, enter the code BELLYUP, 15% off your entire order. It's 100% organic coffee. It's air roasted. You get 100% money back guarantee if you're not satisfied with it, and it's veteran owned. So you're supporting the troops, supporting people who you know stand for our freedom. Sully, you enjoyed your coffee? I did. It was very good. I'm going to have to re-up another order, man. Now, I'm really excited to bring on our guest. He is a very, very talented writer for uh, Space City Scoop, as well as uh, Clutch City Control Rome. He used to write for the Toro Times. Everything I've read that he's written has been just phenomenal, and so I'm really excited to have him on to talk Houston sports, and that is Anthony Duckett. So, Anthony, thank you so much for uh, joining the show today. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, not a problem. Yeah, we're really excited. I mean, you know, when when somebody's in a community like that and entrenched into the sports community like that, I mean, it doesn't get any better. So we're really excited to have you on. Likewise. You know, you all were talking about that coffee. That coffee sounds pretty good, huh? Invader it's, coffee. It's good, man. I'm telling you, I'm not even a big coffee guy, and I'm telling you, it's good, man. It's 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 smooth. I like it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll try it out sometime because I'm a big coffee guy myself. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, it definitely. It's uh, veteran-owned. We got in touch with them, and uh, they're like, hey, can you kind of you get it out there? We'll give a 15% discount if people enter the code. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people actually started visiting the site initially for all their apparel because it's veteran-owned. There's a lot of Grim Reaper-type stuff. So during Halloween, okay. they do pretty well. So. Okay. Yeah, so, check it out. Um, yeah, so we wanted to obviously talk about a bunch of Houston sports topics. But before we do, I'm curious if you wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, how did you really get into you know, going from being a fan to, like, writing about Oh, uh, that's actually a good question. So, you know, I've always wanted to write for the Rockets because I, you know, I feel like I cover the team. You know, I know a lot about, you know, it seems like every transaction that happens, report or news. Um, so about a year and a half ago, I was um, you know, just trying to figure out how I can get into the blogging thing. So, you know, as simple as I just typed in, you know, Houston Rockets blog sites and um, I happened to notice a couple sites um, and I pretty much applied for all of them. There's like four or five of them. And the first one I heard back from was basically Scoop, which is a fan sided network uh, Rockets site. Um, and I figured, you know, I've read a few of the uh, I, I had read a few of the those sites or sorry, those articles. I mean, effective. And I felt like, you know, that's something that I would you know really want to do because you're speaking as a voice of how the fan base might feel or how you as a fan might feel about certain news reports, things like that. And what was cool about the fan sided uh, network is I was able to also write for the Texans uh, at the same time, Toro times simultaneously. So that was kind of a cool thing, you know, and eventually I kind of shifted more towards the Rockets. Although I still love my beloved Texans, although this is kind of an embarrassing year for us, <laughs> but at least at least we, we got Trader Bill out of there. So <laughs> exactly, you got rid of Bill O'Brien, so that's a start, man. That's a that's start. Right. Yeah. I'm curious when you do, do your articles because here's the thing: like I got started in this doing articles as well, blogging on different uh, sites, and I like to write a lot of human interest type stories. So I wrote about Ronnie Fields from Chicago, who played with Kevin yep. Garnett at Fairgood Academy. I wrote an article about uh, Brian Taylor, the former Yankees, number one overall pick. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because uh, Sully and my uh, our former co-host, they were like, uh, who are these people that you're writing about? <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that's the really interesting stuff, you know, is the stuff people don't know. Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I really enjoy writing about, you know, prospects or whether it's like a, a second round, you know, unheralded draft pick or maybe an undrafted rookie who's happened to be flashing some signs in camp or summer league, whatever, you know, I tend to enjoy that just because, you know, you're able to find out, you're able to find out yourself more about a guy that you may have not known about, you know? Uh, and plus it's always, it's always cool to, to know, you know, who the team has in the pipeline or it's always cool to know players that are maybe on a practice squad that might not even make the team. You can kind of figure out their backstory and kind of get an emotional attachment towards that, you know, that player, uh, things like that. Yeah, that's Wayne and Nikhil Harry in the NFL. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I still I still believe he's going to turn out to be something. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm equally I'm big into prospects in the NFL, the football side of it, and and I love it for essentially the same reasons. You you kind of develop a, a connection with these kids, and you see like how they grew up. You learn their backstories and kind of where they came from. You know why they you know essentially play the way they do if they have like a mean streak or something like that. And and it's, it's really, you know, very interesting. So I, I love that side of it. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. Yeah. Now with the Houston Rockets, uh, obviously there's a lot going on right now, but I like to do things in chronological Always. order. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, obviously going back to Mike D'Antoni says, you know, I'm kind of a mutual breakup is what it was reported that they just, neither side really wanted it to continue. Uh, yeah. He leaves and the Rockets start their coaching search. Now I'm a, 
big guy when they started their search. I really like uh, Shaka Smart from uh, Texas. Yeah. I thought he would have been a fantastic coach because I like those college guys like like uh, uh, Brad Stevens who can come in. And, and yeah. Shaka is a really, really smart X's and O's guy. I don't think he's a great recruiter, which is why he hasn't done well there. But I think yeah. as far as being a head coach, I think he would have been great in Houston. I don't know what, what your thoughts are on that. Uh, yeah, Shaka, um, as you mentioned, Shaka really – he hasn't done as well at Texas – um, as he had done, you know, prior to, to landing there. But what we had gathered is that they wanted someone who had been around the NBA for a long time. You know, if you look at all of the guys that they had, you know, pretty much all the finalists, at least, you know, Jeff Van Gundy, you know, obviously been around since the 90s. Um, Frank, uh, sorry, uh, Lucas, uh, John Lucas. Um, he, he had been around, you know, since, I mean, longer than that, you know, um, <laughs> and Steven Stylus, although he it was a first time coach, you know, he's been coaching for 20 years as an assistant. So what I gathered was that they wanted somebody who had, you know, um, a lot of NBA experience, whether as a head coach, preferably um, or, you know, just being around the league for a while, because, you know, what, what was crazy about the head coaching search is that I think that was kind of signs of, of the the uh, the franchise really being kind of split, kind of torn, because, you know, reports are that the owner, Tillman Fertitta, wanted Jeff Van Gundy, but Harden wanted Lucas, right? <laughs> Daryl Morey wanted Doc Rivers, <laughs> and we obviously see, you know, he left and went to Philly and joined Doc Rivers, you know. So, you know, that was really kind of the early signs of, you know, at the time, I thought it was really weird that, we, you know, one day we'll get a report that Lucas is the front runner, And the next day we reported that, that you know, Van Gundy's the front runner. You know, so it was like I kind of gathered that nobody really knew what was going on. And it makes sense because the organization was torn on what was going to be the next move. I'm curious your take on this. This is more of a general MBA, but because we're talking coaching searches, why can't Mark Jackson get a head coaching job? I don't know. That's a good question. I thought that Mark Jackson <laughs> laid his blueprint out uh, in Golden State. Um, obviously, Kerr got there and made some different changes, mainly having the offense flow through Draymond. But, you know, I don't know. Um, it, it seemed like there were some political things or there, there was something going on behind the scenes when he was in Golden State uh, that maybe we just don't know about, don't know much about. Because I would have thought that at least, you know, he would get every year there. there's these openings that come open. Uh, or come up rather, and I never see him as a finalist or even. Right. Uh, so I got a question for you. What's that? Now, obviously, the 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 big trade happened, and and Russell Westbrook is moved, um, and you get John Wall in, who, in my opinion, is a lesser Russell Westbrook to an extent. Yeah. Um, what do you think was the Rockets kind of motive behind this? Was this really the only deal they could get? Like why replace a guy who really kind of couldn't shoot, you know, deep and was a slasher and an attacker with another guy who can't shoot deep and is a slasher and an attacker. So that's a good point. Uh, obviously the two, they definitely have a similar style of play, although Wall's a little bit of a better, well, he is a better defender and he's a better three point shooter, but, yeah, but but they they definitely have similar styles of play where they're both you know very athletic you know and gets to, comes to driving to the basket you know speed athleticism quickness you know um, but I think you know what I gathered is that Russ really wanted out and I think the thinking that the Rockets had is that 
John Wall is a better fit alongside Harden than Russ was, right? Uh, Russ had a 34.2% usage rate, which is, which is, I mean, quite high. That was like top. Yeah. yeah, I was like, top, I think top 10 in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, again, obviously Harden has to have the ball in his hands. That's kind of his style of play. That's kind of been the play um, style that has worked best for him. So the thinking is that Wall won't necessarily need to dominate the ball as much as Russ. And along with the fact that Russ wanted out. Now, there's, you know, obviously we've heard that, that Harden preferred playing alongside Wall. But then he doesn't show up to camp at all. So, <laughs> so, so you would think if he was excited about, about John Wall that he would at least been here, and he hasn't been. So, um, but John Wall said that they talked, you know, before the trade happened, when the, when the trade happened, and he he's uh, been adamant that Harden wanted to play with him, wants to play with him. So we'll see. But I think the thinking is that that Russ wanted out, and that Wall might be a better, more more of a natural fit alongside Harden. Yeah, see, my concern with the trade initially was that, you know, uh, I felt like they brought Chris Paul in to play alongside Harden. And again, Chris Paul is a ball-dominant player, and so is James Harden. Then they switch out Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook, who is another ball-dominant player. And now they go get John Wall, who's another ball-dominant player. I don't know if they can't see the dynamics that work. You can't have two guys dribbling the basketball at the same time. So (laughs) if I were them, either either they're thinking that – James Harden should stop handling the ball and play more off the ball, or and, and they, they're trying to help him do that, or they're just grossly mis, you know misconstruing the situation there. Well, so there, there's that there's that take. There's also the take that many people think that the Rockets were and are planning for an individual James Harden split, right? So if, if that's the case, and you figure if he's going to be gone anyways, you know the the hard part about really it all ties back to the Chris Paul contract. He was making forty million a year. Obviously, you know, in the NBA, you know, salary cap league, you trading a salary, you got to bring in someone or a group of players making that amount. And, you know, the Rockets owner, Tillman Fertitta, you know, they're big on, you know, having stars. You know, they they want fans in the stands. Obviously, right now it's a little different, of course, but, you know, uh, they, they want stars. So, you know, the first – the rush trade was, was because James Harden – reports are that Harden – wanted to play alongside, you know, his childhood best friend and that Fertitta, the owner, thought that Chris Paul's contract was the worst that he had ever seen in business or sports. Or whatever. <laughs> that, 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 that's what the reports say. So if that's the case, then that move was made, you know, Harden wanted it, Fertitta wanted it. So Maury, you know, was like, okay, let's do it. Now, the asking price for Russ was crazy. I mean, a monsoon of draft picks, pick swaps. I mean, that was kind of over the top, in my opinion, but that was the classic Daryl Morey. He he didn't he said it before. He doesn't care about draft picks. You know, he's all about going all in now. He feels like you know if you're a contender now, then you go all in. So in that case, he made that move. But a lot of people think that that was not a move that Daryl wanted to make, but that Harden and Tillman both said, "Hey, let's get this done." So you know what I think is kind of weird is that I think Russ played very well uh, this past season. Uh, especially for a system that was not, you know, suited to his strengths. Obviously, the Rockets, like at least in the past, with D'Antoni, like the Chuck threes, it's not Russ's game. So then you have to, you know, change your game plan up midseason. You go full out small ball to help create more spacing. And then Russ goes on a tear. You know, he had his, I think, his best uh, calendar 2020. You know, he had like 25 games and 20 plus points or more. Then he gets COVID. And then, you know, he gets hurt. And unfortunately, in the playoffs, he did not even, you know, he wasn't even half the player that he was the season. 
Which is why I think it's kind of weird that all of a sudden afterwards they're like, nah, we're going to blow this up. You know, Harden's like, you know, I want out. Russ like, I want out. You know, it didn't make sense because, you know, my opinion is that most of the time with star players, you know, especially especially a system like the Rockets run, you know, year two, you figure will be more, you know, better than year one. Now you guys are used to playing alongside each other. You kind of know your role in the system with this personnel. Um, but once D'Antoni was gone, Daryl's gone, you know, um, I think that they were – it's odd to me that the uncertainty of the franchise may have made – reports are that they may have made them both, you know, feel uneasy about, you know, the Rockets' title contending status. Uh, the reason why it's weird is because Russ and Harden were involved in the decision-making of the head coach. You know, they were – Silas said that they were involved in the interview. Like, they, you know, they asked him questions. You know, he had to sell them on the fit. So it's weird that now we're hearing that, you know, Harden really didn't, didn't want Silas. Uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of strange, but, uh, but we'll see. I mean, I, nobody knows what Harden is thinking right now. That's for sure. Yeah, I think the the – Question: The next question I was going to have was, now, do you think they made the John Wall move thinking that they were going to now move James Harden for more pieces? I know, you know, he said he wants to go to the Nets, the Bucks, and now the Sixers are the three teams he's willing to go to. Um, and Miami. I, oh, yeah, in the Heat. Now, now the, I think the issue being is, like you said, Houston wants stars, and to Harden, you're going to need stars back, but I don't know if any of those teams would be willing to move their stars. I think a Nets deal could work because you could get a Karis LeVert, Spencer Didwitty, Jared Allen kind of package, and they could still keep their big three, but I, I don't know. I don't really see a move happening. Do you see a move happening? Do you think one's like ever reasonable or, or actually a chance, or is this all just you know smoke? So I don't – I mean, my personal opinion, personal thoughts is that I don't think that a Brooklyn Nets deal would take place. We've heard that the Rockets have told, you know, the Nets, hey, if you want Harden, give us, you know, Durant or Kyrie Irving. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I assume they're going to ask for from everybody. If they ask for the Sixers, they're going to want Simmons or, you know, somebody else. or so. I, I just don't see deals working. Yeah. Yeah, so I definitely don't think the Brooklyn Nets thing will happen. Uh, Milwaukee would be intriguing if you could get back Drew Holiday and Middleton. Probably can't get that. <laughs> if you could get that, you know, they can't trade Drew Holiday, at least until the trade deadline, because they just got him. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not sure that, that Milwaukee would do that deal. Uh, Miami, a lot, so a lot of um, Rockets fans have basically had this drawn down to either Tyler Hero for Miami, and, of course, you know, you have to have salaries to match draft picks, all that or Ben Simmons from Philly, and, of course, again, uh, draft picks, you know, and maybe a, a Matthias Thibault, uh, you know, a young emerging player. Personally, I think that Simmons would be a good, you know, a good fit if you have to trade hard, and I think Simmons is the best deal, although we've heard that, you know, Philadelphia doesn't want to trade Simmons or Joel Embiid, which, again, you know, around a time the trade's taking place, negotiations take place, you don't benefit from leaking that you're willing to trade <laughs> You know, you're not going to say, yeah, we're willing to give him up. You know, you have to, you know, play hardball. Well, I wouldn't want to do that. Well, he's off limits, you know, and make it, you know, obviously the first person that caves or says, yeah, we're willing to give you this, loses. Because, like, okay, cool, we'll take that and more since you're willing yeah. to trade us that. Um, I think personally the Rockets really have a legitimate argument to make to Harden. Hey, just just play with this team. This is a new team. 
Um, the way it played last night against Chicago, it's a preseason game, and it's against Chicago, of course. Just a few disclaimers there. <laughs> you know, but, but Boogie Cousins looked good. Um, obviously, the question is, can he stay healthy? John Wall looked really good. Uh, the question obviously, was about his Can he stay healthy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly you know, the question was about his health as well. He, yeah. He's been out for two years. Um, but I think if you can, it is a big if, but if you can get a healthy wall and cousins, the Rockets also signed Christian Wood, you know, a rising, uh, big man, uh, you know, uh, Silas, the head coach, he was the, the, um, the Mavericks had the best offense in NBA history last year with him running the offense. So I think the thinking that the Rockets have, uh, is that, Hey, if you can just get Harden to camp, get him to at least see this team, join this team, um, then you could maybe change his mind, but Again, uh, no one really knows what what he's what exactly he's thinking. If the thinking is that he wants to get a title, you know, personally, I don't really know if going to Philly in exchange for Simmons does that, and uh, the next deal is not going to happen. So, in my opinion, is if you're Harden, do you have the best chance of winning a title here, or is the thinking that the Lakers are so loaded, you know, that no one's really going to beat them anyways? So, you know, is the thinking that I might as well stay here? Where I'm loved, obviously, uh, and give this you know franchise a chance. I personally, I think that the Rockets would be willing to at least hear Harden out if he gave it a chance with this roster. There's a brand new team, new coach, new general manager. You know, why not at least give it a shot, or at least pretend <laughs> to look like you're you're willing to see how this goes. And if it doesn't work out by the trade deadline, maybe approach them again at that point and say, "Hey, guys, it's not working. I still want out." Personally, I think that would be the way to go. You know, the Rockets don't have to trade him. He's under contract for two more years. You know, um, now in the NBA, it's different than, you know, NFL, right? NBA is players' league. Players could say, I'm not going to play or going to hold out. You know, Charlie's fully guaranteed. Harden is not a guy who <laughs> needs any, he's, you know, hungry for money, right? We just saw him, you know, making it rain in a restaurant. <laughs> you know, two, two days ago, he's handing out wads of cash to a little baby. So, well, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But my thinking is that, you know, if I'm hard in the best bet, at least will be to start the season out with this team and give it a go. Well, I'm a Sully alluded to it, and, and I read your article, which actually got the hair to stand up on my arm when I saw the title was, you know, do the Rockets owe James Harden uh, a trade to Brooklyn? And I got so mad. I'm like, no, they don't. And I'm glad that you agreed at the end of the article. You're like, no, they don't owe him anything. Um, but that kind of goes to where this is going, where he's like, hey, I'll play for Miami. I'll play for Philly. Like, you don't have a no trade clause, dude. We'll send you wherever we want. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, the Rockets have total control of the situation right now. He's under contract for two more years. And, you know, I, I get it in this era of player empowerment in the NBA, right? Players, star players do, you know, go wherever they want. LeBron goes to the Lakers or KD went to the Warriors, not Brooklyn. But if you want to do that, there's a way to do that. Just sign, you know, one plus one player option contracts, right? That's what LeBron kept doing. Durant kept doing. That way you have the flexibility to say, okay, you know, at the end of this season, I want to weigh my options out. OK, maybe I'll sign one more year. OK, next year, weigh my options out. You don't sign a super max deal and then you have two years left on his contract. He actually has three years left, but he has an option after um, next season of 47 million, which I mean, I don't know that Harden would turn down a 47 million dollar <laughs> player option. <laughs> you know, tear that contract up. I don't know that you, that would be smart, at least. So. Uh, but he's got two years left before he can actually say, you know, okay, I'm opting out. I'm going to explore my player option. 
So you don't have to do what he wants, especially in this case when he's kind of giving the finger to the organization. I mean, like I said, to me, if you're looking for a way out and, you know, so this is kind of this is kind of an odd comparison, but I kind of look at it like if you, you know, work for an employer and you don't have any PTO and it's holiday time and you're like, hey, I want to take some time off my family, go on a vacation. You don't have the PTO. And your boss says, nah, we can't make that happen. You don't have the PTO. You wouldn't just say, I'm not going to come to work, then F it. You know, <laughs> if you did, like, you would, you would be out of a job. <laughs> now, the NBA is different, right? It's much different. But it just seems like the way to go about it, if you're trying to get the, the organization to do you a solid, is to play nice. You know, mm-hmm. go to camp, be the constant professional. You're still getting paid. You know, at least put on a, a front, if, if nothing else, that you're willing to try it out. I think that would go a lot further. But my opinion in that article is that, you know, I wrote that because a lot of fans love Harden, right? Since he's been here, Harden's been great. And I, and I, and I understand that because before Harden, the Rockets were, I mean, mediocre fringe lottery team, you know, not, they weren't bad enough to be a lottery team, but they weren't going to be a purgatory. team. So you're kind of in mediocrity. Yeah. Sucks in sports. You can't really get a good draft pick, but you can't really contend. Uh, And once you get Harden, you can play off eight straight years, you know, um, and having Harden has allowed you to have other stars like Dwight Howard, you know, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, things like that. So I get it. You know, Harden has been this, the, the city, the fan base loves Harden. They love Harden. But the franchise doesn't owe him anything more than they've gave him. They've given him Supermax deals. Yeah. He's got endorsement deals. You know, his own, his own shoe, right? How many NBA players have their actual own shoe, you know? Um, on top of that, before Harden got here, he was a sixth man. He comes to Houston. He's now like a top three player. He's a, he's a superstar, you know. Um, so, you know, in my opinion, the Rockets don't owe him anything more than what they've already given him and committed to him. You know, uh, they're paying a the tax this year, which is a big deal. The Rockets <laughs> never pay luxury tax. They're, you know, set to pay a luxury tax this year to, uh, you know, to convince Harden that this team is, you know, we're convinced, you know, we're willing to at least give it a shot and go all in, you know? So I don't really think that the Rockets owe him anything. I I read that he feels like regardless of what the Rockets could get back, they should just take it because of what he's done for the franchise. (laughs) And that's just not how sports works or business. It's not how it works. (laughs) Doesn't make sense at all. That's Bill O'Brien business right there. Yeah. Uh, So, now, I, I, I want to ask, you know, James Harden's kind of a polarizing figure, obviously. Um, there's a lot of people on the side of the coin that he's not one of the all-time greats, and there's some that think he is an all-time great. Um, what's your opinion on it? So I think that Harden is definitely one of the all-time greatest scorers. Um, I know that his style a lot of people don't like because a lot of it's based off of, it seems like, you know, shooting threes and into the free throw line. The free throw line is something that I know fans don't like, right? Um <laughs> Especially seeing him flail in the air or, or whatever. But he has a textbook understanding of the rule book, which, you know, it's simple as if you don't want him shooting free throws, then don't foul him, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in my opinion, he is one of the, the greatest scorers, definitely the greatest isolation player uh, we've ever seen. Now, unfortunately, we're in an era where it's rings or nothing, right? You don't have a ring, then it's like you can't be considered one of the all time greatest. Um, but I, I do think that when it's all said and done, he will be viewed as that. I, I think right now, like I said, I think we could say that he's 
the greatest scorer that's ever played. We definitely gonna have the conversation that he is in is in the discussion for you know one of the greatest scorers ever. He's he's also improved a lot on the defensive end of the last couple of years, which I think that the lack of just effort on that that's side right, exactly. You know, the lack of effort on that side initially really kind of dinged him. But lately, he's tried to clamp down. He's, he's been a much better defender of late. I don't think it has anything to do with his lack of ability to defend. It's he doesn't care to defend. And and honestly, I think that's worse. Um, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you're a three-time, I think he's a three-time league-leading scorer now, scoring champion now, you know, seven-time All-NBA. Um, I, I mean, I agree. He's just deadly in isolation. Um, I think he's one of the greatest scorers, so I, I actually agree with that opinion. And, and I won't knock his defense because uh, I don't play defense uh, when I play. And I'm a, I have a defensive philosophy. So some people have called me a red carpet defender, but my philosophy is this. If you outscore the guy that you're guarding, you played good defense. <laughs> I mean, it's actually kind of hard to argue with that. Because if everybody does that, you won't defeat it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> by, by that logic, he's, he's a great defender. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he usually always outscores his matchup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so talk about trades. I mean, you brought it up. Like the Sixers, you know, they might, they're going to look for Ben Simmons in a Sixers deal. But again, Ben Simmons is John Wall, but taller. He can't shoot and he slashes to the basket, you know. And then you look at the, you know, the Brooklyn Nets, if they send back Kyrie, well, now you've got Kyrie and Wall taking turns dribbling at the top of the key. So I started thinking, like, what is it that Houston would want in return that actually makes sense? And it's going to be a wing scorer or a power forward. And I think that the team that they're trading him to can't have a point guard there. Like, you couldn't trade him to Toronto for Siakam, even though that makes sense for Houston. It doesn't make sense for Toronto because you still have Lowry there. So I well, thought the team – Fred Van Fleet, but yeah. Yeah, so the team that made the most sense to me, and now it's kind of shot because of the new contract, but I thought a trade for Paul George made a lot of sense because – Harden and Kyrie are the perfect symbiotic relationship where, you know, Kyrie can be the beneficiary of those passes. For those passes. And then, you know, Paul George going to play the wing with, you know, John Wall. and It was just the perfect match. But now I see, you know, Clippers gave that huge deal to Paul George. It's not going to happen. But that's the kind of deal I think they should be looking at is uh, bringing back a wing player. Yeah. So initially there was a lot of talks about Paul George um and the Rockets whether it was for Harden no actually was initially talks about Paul George for Russ before Russ got dealt to uh to the Wizards but they said the Rockets are looking for a, fran a young franchise cornerstone a star player and some draft capital to try to uh, recoup some of that <laughs> lost picks from Daryl Morey's you know willing and dealing right so if they're looking for a young franchise cornerstone I mean it would seem like that almost has to be Simmons now, obviously, Simmons, you know, and Wall, as you mentioned, you know, they're both essentially point guards. Although I think that Simmons can play the point forward role, you know, 6'9", 6'10". Um, he's – that pairing would, would have to depend on Wall being able to shoot. Now, his, <laughs> he's, he's had a couple of seasons where he's been 35% from three. Uh, he did have one year where he shot 37% from three. Uh, obviously, John Wall's not a three-point shooter. But I think that, you know, part of the, uh, the thinking there is that if you do have Simmons and Wall uh, and, and all else that you have, those are both great defenders. I mean, Ben Simmons' first team all defense last season. Um, and you could have either one of them stagger. In the past, in past years, the Rockets staggered either Russ or Harden toward that one of them ran the second unit. 
So you always at all times, you know, at all times you had a, a, a stellar guard floor general, you know, on the court. So in that, by that math, by that logic, at least, if you do have a wall in Simmons, same thing. You know, you can stagger their minutes to where the second unit, you always have, you know, one of them on the floor. And, you know, I, I, although I do think that they have similar styles of play when it comes to obviously you basically have two point guards. I do think that Simmons and Wall, if anyone can make that work, it will be Silas because he's been an offensive innovator. We've seen what he's been able to do. Um, but, I mean, the biggest challenge is that, you know, hard, again, Harden's salary, $41 million, you're going to have to obviously bring that back. And you don't want to just make a deal just to get rid of them, right? So, I mean, the Rockets have had their asking price is that they want to start in draft picks. Um, the draft pick part is important to Philly do because, again, Daryl Morey doesn't care about draft picks. So <laughs> you know, it, it would seem like that would, would get you what you're looking for if you want a star and draft picks. Uh, and then the last thing I had on the East Coast, again, trading him to the East Coast, getting him out of the West, right, yeah. is uh, – and especially if Houston's going to start taking on these big risk injury potential cases. Yeah. I think it makes sense to send him to Chicago for Zach Levine and uh, Wendell Carter and maybe some draft picks. Chicago, I actually like that. I like that that uh, that deal. That's been discussed by fans, at least. Um, Levine, I, I, I'm a big fan of Zach Levine. I think Levine, Levine can play. He could play alongside Wall as well. Um, Carter, you know, young young up and coming prospect, good draft picks that you can get, you know, from the Bulls, especially if they're not going to be any good um, for a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I I would think that that would be a a, a fairly decent, you know, trade trade offer trade package. We haven't heard them discuss much, uh, which makes me wonder maybe the Rockets aren't big on Levine. Um, but I, I personally think that that would be a, a, a really good package. And of course, like I said, you had written for the the Toro Times, a big Texans guy. Still, you mentioned it yourself. Yeah. So we definitely wanted to, you know, ask you a little bit about the the Houston Texans. And, and I came up with this graphic here. If you're listening and not watching it, then you're going to be missing out here. But uh, I came up with a graphic. Uh, notable trades from Bill O'Brien, obviously Jadavion Clowney for Barcavius Mingo, Jacob Martin, uh, and a third round pick, which they later traded to the Raiders. Uh, they traded was it, two uh. first round picks and a second round pick, and Jason Batamosi for Laramie Tunsil. Uh, and then DeAndre Hopkins, and they didn't even get back a first for DeAndre Hopkins. They got back David Johnson in a second and a fourth, which they swapped fourth. And, and I guess my question for you, now you're a Houston Texans fan. Watching this stuff go down, like I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan, right? So anytime Bill Belichick does something and it looks stupid, I'm like, well, you know, we say Bill we trust. You know, he knows what he's doing. Uh, did you ever think, you know, in Bill O'Brien we trust? It was like, nope, no, this just doesn't work. <laughs> First off, why do you guys have to do this, man? Why do you have to show this graphic, man? That's painful to see, <laughs> painful to see man. <laughs> uh, no, so never had confidence in Bill O'Brien, especially as a general manager. Now, some people think that he was a decent head coach because he won several division titles. AFC South during those years wasn't really all that great. So I don't really give you a crown for winning a division. But no, never had confidence in uh, Bill O'Brien. And really, you know, there were a lot of other moves that were made on his watch. Um, you know, the Dwayne Brown trade. Now, that was made by Rick Smith, the former GM. Um, but I would love to have held on to him. We also heard about how Bill O'Brien basically pushed Andre Johnson out, uh, which, you, you know, you don't you just don't do that. You know, he, he goes to the Colts and then he's bouncing around. The guy's a franchise great. You know, you just don't do that. But <laughs> But the DeAndre Hopkins trade was stupid beyond, you know, comprehension. I mean, the Cardinals were going to cut David Johnson. He was not going to be the starter. They're going to start Kenyon Drake. 
So you're trading arguably the best receiver for a guy that's probably going to get cut anyways, and you don't even get a first-round pick out of that. You know, it's like, what are you thinking? Now, I get it. You know, if, if Hopkins told him, hey, I want a new contract, you know, uh, and he had two years left in this deal, and Bill O'Brien, the, his, his explanation after the trade went down was that we don't want to give, you know, a new contract to a player who's got two years left, whatever the case. But you just, I mean, you, you, ha- you do it. You do it. You know, or or if you if you're not willing to do it now, then you know the conversation with Hopkins is, hey, right this minute, you know, we're not we're certainly not opposed to it, but right now, this you know, as of today, we don't think this is the best. You know, that's that's you know, basically, you start having a discussion, negotiate with him. You know, let him know you're willing to do this, whether you don't want to do it right now or not. But the message that he gave to Hopkins was, we're not open to that at all. And then Hopkins, okay, well, we'll get me out of town. And then, and even then, you don't have to do it. You don't have to trade him just because he says, "Get me out of town." Like, same thing with Hardy; he's under contract two more years. So, to do that trade, and then what you got back? I mean, and you, know, you don't have like, to get peanuts for him either. You could get more than a bag of Skittles and some potato chips for the guy. Right. He was the best <laughs> receiver in the league at the time, and you got nothing back. It was so frustrating. Yeah, and it's like I don't even think that they canvassed the league for you know what they took all the first deal that came out. I'm sure. Yeah, it's stupid. It's just stupid. It's stupid. Well, that's now, and I, then, go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 no I was go saying, ahead. I say that's why when they made the trade initially, and obviously you know uh, Arizona had the the fourth or fifth overall pick, which they used on Isaiah Simmons, uh, eighth pick maybe. But eighth. you know, I think I think they were like, you know what, we are not trading the eighth pick for DeAndre Hopkins. We really want him, but we're not giving up that eighth pick. And I feel like Houston just said, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I understand they're not wanting to trade the eighth, but if you're Houston, then then you try like, I don't know, you try a swap of some kind to get you know picks back. Now I understand they moved a lot of draft capital for Larry Laramie Tunsil, which yeah. honestly I don't think was a terrible move. Laramie Tunsil's yeah, played pre- played well. You know he's a he's a franchise cornerstone left tackle. Maybe the two first and a second was a lot, but when you get a guy that can can actually play left tackle and Deshaun Watson can count on, that's huge. Um, now I agree it stems back from the Dwayne Brown trade, which um, you know they probably should have never made because he was a franchise left tackle at the time. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think it's just a systematic, you know, relate issue where the the moves from the from the top were controlled obviously by the same guy, and you got nobody in his ear saying, "Hey, look, this this isn't a good idea." Um, where do you think the franchise goes from here? You know, do you have any? You know, I know you don't write for the Texans anymore, but any 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 word yeah. coming out of the city of where they're going, GM, coach, things like that. Well, the Texans have been pretty tight-lipped about if they are interested or locked in on a specific candidate. So far, we've heard that they're, you know, they have uh, hired a searching firm um, to help them with that. Personally, my opinion is a couple couple names that I would like at least is, you know, general manager. I like John Dorsey. John Dorsey left his footprint on Browns, who are doing great this season. A Chiefs team, he built that team up, um, and he's out of work right now. So. Um, I, I love the pairing of Dorsey and Bienemy for the head coach from the Chiefs. Um, I also would like Ozzie Newsom as a GM. I know he's retired right now, but um, yeah. <laughs> everyone would know. like Ozzie Newsom as a GM. <laughs> 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 yeah, so so those are some guys, some names just off the top for GMs. Uh, when it comes to head coach, uh, the thing is that this Texas team, you have, you know, it, it's hard to get a you know, a young cornerstone quarterback, right? Deshaun Watson's definitely exactly. that. 
you know, uh, even with even with the, the surrounding cast, supporting cast, it hasn't necessarily been great this year. A lot of guys in and out, the lineup, injuries, whatever, whatever have you. Steroids. Uh, yeah, steroids also. <laughs> <laughs> steroids as well. Uh, Deshaun Watson played great, you know. Um, so be- for, because of that, I think you can get yourself a good coach. Like I said, I, li- I like the idea of being a me. You know, he's definitely a player's coach, former player himself. Um, and I like, you know, there, there's been questions about, you know, what was he really running the Chiefs offense or was it Andy Reid, right? Um, I think that regardless of whether he was, you know, run, you know, making those call play calls or not, he, he definitely had some responsibility there. You know, um, so to me, whether it's been me, I like Robert Sala from the 49ers, the defense coordinator. I think he will be a good head coaching option. Um, people are talking about Joe Brady from the Panthers, the OC. I know he, you know, first year as an OC, did a really good job at LSU. Um, I think personally, I would rather be enemy if we're going to go offense over Brady. But Brady wouldn't be bad. Um, what I do not want to see happen is – them continue to try to pluck from the Patriots, right? Josh McDaniels, I don't think that would be a good idea to be the head coach. I know the Texans tried getting Nick Casario to be the GM last year from Patriots. I don't think that would be a good idea. I think I'm all Patriots out right now when it comes to their personnel members, right? Because you don't have Bill Belichick. That's a big difference, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I actually think your your combo of John Dorsey and Eric Bieniemy is perfect. Um, I, I think Houston is arguably the most desirable, you know, landing spot because you do have Deshaun Watson. Um, you have a, a top five cornerstone at quarterback, and you know you're set there for years to come. Um, you know, I feel like a, a coach, especially like Bieniemy, feels like he could scheme, you know, talent open, especially the talent they have on Houston because they're not talent devoid. It's just not producing at this time. Um, so I, I personally think they're the most desirable spot. And I think Eric Bieniemy is the, I think the logical and sensible choice there as well. Yeah. Now you do need a GM who's going to be able to kind of be able to finagle because this year you don't, I mean, yeah, it it's, it's going to be rough have... for a GM. It's the yeah, GM it's... spot's going to be rough because you got no picks, no right. cap space. Um, I understand that, but as a coach, I think, you know, as a coach, it's a very desirable situation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah agreed. Right. That's all I had for questions. Let's like, get anything else with Rockets or Texans? Uh, that was it for me, man. That was, I, I mean, that was such a good interview, dude. I, I love picking your brain, man. You're fun talk. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed it, man. Thank you guys for having me on. We got to do this again sometime. <laughs> oh, don't tempt me with a good time. When the season starts and stuff like that, we'll get you on for sure. I mean, especially, obviously, if something happens with, with Harden, yeah. we'll get you right on, man. That would be huge. Let's do it for sure. I appreciate you guys having me on. No, oh, definitely. Yeah. You Super were great. to have you on. Yeah, you're yeah. fantastic. So we've been really lucky with our guests. I think you're probably the best guest we've had. We had uh, Charlie Ward on. I'd, I'd actually rather oh, have nice. you on here than Charlie Ward. So. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. Thank you uh, very thanks, much, man. So Thank you guys as well. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. That interview was brought to you by Invader Coffee. Again, this is 100% organic, 100% air roasted, 100% money back guarantee. Hopefully you enjoyed it. It was really, really fun to have uh, somebody come on and talk about the Houston uh, you know, sports franchises. And I know that Sully was excited. I kind of wanted to see if maybe we get some Astros talk in there. Um, <laughs> because of how much of a fan you are of them. But uh, no, that, was, that was really great. 
No, it was. I mean, he's incredibly knowledgeable. Um, he's, I loved his energy. You know, you can tell he's got a passion for, you know, sports writing and, and he's like us, you know, and that's a story we love a fan that, you know, essentially realized his dream and, and now is a, is a sports writer. Um, I think that's obviously where we'd both like to be in the future. So, you know, it's, it's cool to see a guy who's got that passion and has made it happen. Well, it is time for your top prospects. Uh, obviously we have some quarterbacks this week, so I'm really excited about that. And we're kicking things off, obviously, with uh, Zach Wilson from BYU. So uh, I guess tell us a little bit about Zach. Now, Zach kind of, you know, really kind of not exploded onto the scene. But, I mean, he's risen. And, uh, you know, if you're, you're a fan of the show, you know I'm not big on Trey Lance. So Zach Wilson is, has moved ahead of Trey Lance. Um, I think this is kind of, you know, a fair enough ranking. This is obviously not where either one will go. Um, I think both will end up being top 10 to 15 picks. But, I mean, Zach Wilson has just played extremely well over the year. You know, even in his, even in the loss against Coastal Carolina, you know, he still played extremely well. You know, he still graded out at around 90. Um, his, his just arm talent is special. He's functionally athletic. You like, you know, it's not like you're just going to get a guy who can move, but doesn't know how to move. Um, he's got incredible arm talent. He can change his levels where he throws the ball um, velocities. He can hit pretty much every throw. He's got more. Um, he's got less arm talent than Trey Lance overall, but he's much more accurate. I mean, I think he makes better decisions. He's just more of a, a quarterback at this point, um, not just an athlete playing the position. Uh, I think Zach Wilson's got a potential to go extremely, extremely high in the draft. Okay. I know there's been a lot of talk about it, kind of more so generated this season with some of the guys not playing. And I'm going to get to it when we get to some of our quarterbacks later because some comparisons with Zach Wilson, because I don't feel like he had a tremendous year last year. He's having a good year this year. So I'm just curious uh, how why he's moving up so quickly. Um, it wasn't a by any means it wasn't a bad year at all yeah, last year. Um, like again, it's like you know I think we went into the year knowing that um there were some some top level quarterbacks in uh um Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields, and then Trey Lance was was on that fence. I never felt that way about Trey Lance because I don't like an athlete playing quarterback. If you know anything about me and Lamar Jackson. Um, I don't like an athlete playing quarterback. I would prefer a quarterback who then is an athlete. Um, but so I'm not as big as on Trey Lance, but then it was a pretty big, not a drop off, but you had guys like Brock Purdy, uh, who had potential Jamie Newman, who I was incredibly high on, but took the year off. So it's going to hurt him tremendously. Kyle Trask, Mac Jones, all those guys in the second that now some have played their way up and Zach Wilson was one of them. He's just playing, I mean, exceptional football. He doesn't turn the ball over. He makes good decisions. Um, and, and again, he's fun functionally athletic he, he's extremely accurate on rollouts which when you can move and you can and you can vary a pocket and then be deadly i think that's incredibly important especially in today's nfl All right. and from quarterbacks to the people that protect them uh alex leatherwood i feel like probably two-thirds of our top prospects have all been alabama guys I mean, is that a shock? I mean, they're they're pretty stacked, especially that offense this year. It's crazy. I mean, they've got three uh, wide receivers that may go in the first round. And then Leatherwood's a kid who, you know, he's been extremely versatile. He started out at playing guard um, as a true sophomore um, and then honestly didn't perform extremely well, but um, 
has matured very well and, and now has been their left tackle the past two years. And and he's just got a quality about him that you can't teach. Uh, again, a balance. The guy's never out of control. He's never lunging. He's never reaching. He's he's always in a good base position, which I, you cannot teach. Like you physically, you just can't teach that. Um, and that's extremely important. Um, you know, he's a little rough. I'm not going to lie. He's a little rough in, in pass coverage. He, he takes bad angles. Um, he, he doesn't, I think essentially realize he doesn't have the best, I think, pocket awareness yet. Um, but that can be teached, you know, or can be taught that that's something that, that is a, is a tangible skill that you can teach. Um, he's got the ideal bend, um, the ideal height, the ideal length. He's just kind of a prototype at six, six, three, ten. Um, and he does a lot of things well. He's going to need coaching, but I mean, like, there's a, there's an old saying: God doesn't make people this big that move like this. Like, he just doesn't. And and when he does make them, you you take them. So, in your opinion, is he a blindside tackle or is he a strong side tackle? Um, <sighs> honestly, it, you know, you're going to make him a left tackle. You're going to make him a blindside tackle because he has all those tangible abilities and that athletic ability. Um, if I was somebody like Houston, let's say, just because they have a, I think a, a true left tackle in Laramie Tunsil, um, and but they maybe could use another tackle or something like that. Man, I would, I'd be all over the guy at right tackle because I think he has the ability to be a, a truly like top five right tackle. But I mean, again, a left tackle is just more important. So even if you get a top ten left tackle, I think that's more important than a top five right tackle. Uh, wide receiver. We talked about a few of these guys. Most of the guys we've talked about, I feel like, have been undersized. So finally, we got somebody with some height on. Them. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rashad Bateman's a bigger guy. You know, six two, two ten. Um, he. I wish he would have played more this year. You know, he, he decided he was going to play a little and then opted out. And and you know, unfortunately, I, I we just didn't see enough out of him. Um, the issue being is. You know, Minnesota had Tyler Johnson, who they they played in the slot and they fed him in the slot, and he got a ton of targets. Um, Rashad Bateman was a player who, you know, won on the outside, which is important and it's good to know in the NFL. His releases are extremely good. He's going to get off press coverage. He's going to be, you know, off man coverage. Um, he, he knows how to, you know, use his his route running and his head fakes to get open. Um, the issue being again, is he's not a good athlete. Um, you know, he may run a four or five, you know, kind of thing like that. Um, and you'd like to see just like a little more, like I would have loved to see another year of production from him, uh, to, to really have him in that elite class. Um, but right now he's going to hold steady. He may move. Honestly, this is a kid who may move in my lists because I just haven't seen him, you know, so other guys that I've seen that have performed well are going to move up this list. I'm curious when it comes to wide receiver because we saw obviously we mentioned it. Nikhil Harry, huge fan, six four. He's got the size. He has pretty good hands. He can jump through the roof, right? But he doesn't create a lot of separation. So you talk about guys with like that four five. Jerry Rice ran a four five five. You know, obviously Jerry Rice, greatest wide receiver of all time. You could say I'm sure much better route runner than a lot of these guys. <laughs> uh, just found a way to get open. But I mean, that's what I'm saying is when you find these guys who are athletes like a Nikhil Harry or like Rashad Bateman they have more athleticism than Jerry Rice had coming into the, the league. Can you teach them the route running like Jerry Rice had? You would think, and it's, and it's something that obviously coaches, you know, I would assume pride themselves on Rashad Bateman is not the athlete. Nikhil Harry was um, first and foremost. Um, he's, he's not that player. 
Um, but I think Rashad Bateman's a better route runner. I think I think you're you're essentially kind of confusing the two. I think Rashad Bateman is more of the route runner, not the pure athlete. Um, I think he can create separation at the next level, whereas Nikhil Harry relies on, you know, winning at the catch point and just being more physical. Um, but but teaching a route running skill is something that's very difficult. I mean, Justin Jefferson um, is and Jerry Judy are coming onto the scene and, and showing us that, like, look, rookies can excel and beat NFL coverage and be good route runners. So it's, it's very possible. Um, Justin Jefferson has an insane ability to eat up off coverage and then use his head fakes um, and feints to essentially leave guys lost. Um, Jerry Judy's the same thing. Um, neither of these guys are that are, are, are Rashad Bateman is neither of them by any means, but he is more of an elite route runner than Nikhil Harry was. I'll tell you who I would hire as a wide receivers coach to teach route running when he retires is Julian Edelman. Because every time I watch a Patriots game when he would play, I'm like, you know, they're throwing it to him. How is he wide open every time? I mean, that's to be fair, a lot of that was schemed, but he also is another guy who understood zone coverage, understood where coverage was going to be, and understood finding pockets in space. And that's a skill that's very hard to teach, though. It's it's very like awareness driven and tape driven and things like that. Um, I guess it helps that he was a quarterback in college. So he yes, very that. much so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Trey Lance, a guy I know you just compared him to Lamar Jackson, the athlete playing quarterback, but he is still a top prospect because we know teams are going to take him uh, very high. They are, which I think will be a, a tremendous mistake. Um, I mean, look at the kid. He's 6'4". He's 2.30. You're going to see here he's probably going to run the ball. Yep, shocker. Um, and, I mean, look, he's a great running back. I'm not denying that. Uh, I think he can be an exceptional talent with the ball in his hand, but um, I just don't think he's a good quarterback. Right there's a really good example of the kid has special arm talent. I mean, special arm talent. And he's a special athlete. And so it's going to get him drafted. Guys that are 6'4", 230, don't move like that. He's a physical runner. He is not Lamar. He's not going to shake you. He will put his head down and run you smack over. Yeah, which obviously, yes, very much so. But in the NFL, you can see that only works for so long. So you have to learn how to throw the football, man. You just have to. And and I mean, he's just bad at it. Plain and simple, he's just bad at it. He doesn't throw with anticipation. He doesn't. Guys have to be wide open for him to to make the throw. Um, his accuracy is, I mean, average at best. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's going to be a project and, and a, a huge one. Now you're going to have to have an offensive coordinator that's going to be able to scheme to, to, to his, you know, strengths. Um, but obviously somebody's going to take him very high because his ceiling is the moon. You know, if you can teach this kid how to play quarterback and, and, and to throw accurately, I mean, now, granted, those are big ifs. Like, don't get me wrong; that doesn't happen overnight. But I mean, if you can teach him how to play quarterback, holy shit! Yeah, and well, and I guess I love potential when it comes to the NBA draft. You know, a guy with a high ceiling, but he's very rough. I don't love it, especially with quarterbacks in the NFL draft. And so we talked last year. A guy that you really liked was Jordan Love, right? You said extremely special arm talent, very good athlete, but he also set the record for interceptions in the season for college. I mean, like you. Decision making to me is so much more important than athleticism and arm talent. Agreed. And and you know, to be fair, one of and I don't believe this is a strength, but one of um 
the strengths that are mostly listed on scouting reports for him, or he is a good decision maker. I mean, he did have the season last year where I think he threw zero interceptions, you know, and I think he only, he's only had, I think four turnovers his entire college career, things like that. Um, and for a guy who runs the ball 20 times a game, you know, fumbles are, you know, maybe an issue, but he doesn't fumble the ball either. Now, why he doesn't turn the ball over is because he's one reading gone. So, you know, you're, it's tough to make a bad decision at that point where it's, oh, he's not open. Well, let me just run around a guy in Division Two football that I am a superior athlete to. It's not going to happen in the NFL. It's just not. So I think that's where he's going to obviously struggle. And, I mean, if you plan on starting now, you know, you mentioned Jordan Love. And, I mean, could he have gone to a better situation? You know, oh, he oh, goes yeah. he goes to Green Bay where he won't start for probably two years. He's going to learn how to play quarterback under arguably the one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And eventually he's probably going to succeed, honestly. I think Jordan Love has a better chance to succeed than a lot of these other rookie quarterbacks, especially long-term. Now, if Trey Lance goes to a similar situation, I think he has a great chance to work out. If somebody tries to force him to be a starter year one, I think he's going to fail miserably, honestly. And I guess the according to how we've broken this guy down, because we've talked about him a lot already this season, but a guy who is the anti-Trey Lance in terms of no athleticism, great decision-making, accurate short passes, right? Uh, multiple reads and before leaving, if he leaves at all. So uh, I guess tell us a little bit about Kyle Trask. Because like you said, this guy's been climbing up the boards this season, but prior to this season, we were talking about, you know, second, third round. Yeah, he wasn't a top 50 player for me uh, to start the season. Um, he was right on the fringe, to be fair, but he, he just wasn't there. Um, but, I mean, the guy's just played out of his mind this season. He understands this offense so well. He understands where his players are going to be. His pocket awareness has grown exceptional. Uh, the big thing, his biggest knock was that he was a statue and he didn't process things well, and I think he's completely shattered that opinion. I think he is – he will step up. He'll maneuver in the pocket. He, I think his processing speed and, and ability to go from second, third, fourth reads is elite at this point. Um, I, I really like Kyle Trask a lot. If I'm an NFL GM, I take Kyle Trask over Trey Lance 10 times out of 10. Um, I mean, he's, he's six, five, he's two forty. He is the prototype of what you want a pocket passing quarterback to be. He's got the arm talent. He can make any throw on the field and he's exceptionally accurate as well. Uh, I, I really think teams are going to struggle to find things they don't like about Kyle Trask. Well, and that's where I, I mentioned it earlier when we talked about Zach Wilson. I wanted to bring it back around the Zach Wilson versus Kyle Trask because obviously Trask is bigger. Like you said, he's more prototypical as a passer. Looking at their seasons last year, like I said, Zach Wilson had an okay season. It wasn't bad. It wasn't amazing. But Kyle Trask had a better season than Zach Wilson last year, and he played in the SEC. So why is Zach Wilson, even today, still rated ahead of him? Um, to be fair, a lot of what Kyle Trask did last year was just schemed production. It was college production, which looks good on paper, but it, it's not. It doesn't translate. Or, uh, I don't know how to announce. It doesn't translate athletically or prospect-wise to the NFL. Um, like, you know, uh, Graham Harrell put up 5,000 yards at Texas Tech. You know, I mean, he wasn't a good quarterback prospect. Well, Texas uh, Tech's not Florida, though. No, I agree. Um, but, again, it's still schemed production, in my opinion, last year. Last year, he he looked like a statue. If his first or second read wasn't there, 
Kyle Trask was a little lost and he, he made some bad decisions and some bad throws. That's completely changed over this season. He really is a great decision maker. He, un, like I said, he understands this offense like the back of his hand and, and he knows where his guys are going to be and he trusts that. Kyle Wilson, or Zach Wilson, my apologies, is arguably just as good of arm talent, just as accurate, more athletic, and makes anticipatory throws. He can make NFL throws. He can he can make throws before players are out of their break. He's not, like I said, I use this example a lot. He's an athlete. He's not an athlete playing quarterback. He's a quarterback who happens to be an athlete. And those guys are going to get drafted over guys like Kyle Trask, plain and simple. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence is a, a fairy tale because the kid is the prototypical pocket passer and he's also mobile and super athletic you know so i mean justin fields the same way that's why these guys are generational prospects you know if if zach wilson was 6'5 230 and could still move and and throw the ball the way he does he'd be the number three overall pick i mean shit he still may be but he would be considered a generational talent as well he he's a good quarterback he's a good quarterback not just an athlete i know you talked about the nfl and how they perceive pocket passers as being a negative because they want guys who are mobile like the Mahomes and Watson and Burrow and Herbert, right? It does seem to be a trend, but that said, you're a GM, you're a head coach, right? You've seen Tom Brady had 20 plus years of high level football. Would you rather have a guy who stands in the pocket? Um, I would personally rather a Kyle Trask than a Zach Wilson or a Trey Lance, but that's me personally. I've also seen him now manipulate the pocket and, and that's important. Tom Brady was – nobody would ever call him mobile or athletic. The guy could manipulate a pocket better than anybody we've ever seen, arguably. You know, he knew where pressure was coming from, which is huge, and he was able to move himself away from it. Um, I think Kyle Trask has that ability. That was his biggest knock coming into the season, but I think he's completely shut that down. Um, I mean, ideally, like in a, in a perfect world, you know, you want a guy like Mahomes or a guy like – you know, uh, Deshaun Watson or Trevor Lawrence, for that matter, who is very comfortable sitting in a pocket, can manipulate a pocket, can you make any throw from a pocket, but in the off chance he gets a, a blitz he doesn't see, he can also get out and and create a play on his own and things like that. Um, those guys are special and don't grow on trees. Though. Yeah, well, that's what I say. I mean, when I think of what you're describing, uh, Russell Wilson comes to mind. Yes. Uh, and, uh, Aaron Rodgers, obviously. Of course. Ian, yeah. And, but like you said, they don't grow on trees. You don't see a lot of those guys. You see a lot of these guys who are highly athletic. They run the ball 15 to 20 times a game in college, right? And then they yeah. get to the NFL, and you're trying to teach them, hey, you only have to do that three times. Like, yeah, it may be. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think yeah, like, like that, I'd rather okay. have, almost, like you said, like a, like a Trask who can, you know, uh, again, you don't want to scheme any running plays for him. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, if he has to, you know, go five, six yards down the field because of the pocket collapse, he can do it. Exactly. Or if you just need him to move left for that matter and not take off, because I think a lot of these young guys too, especially these athletic guys, their first instinct when a pocket collapses is move and run. Well, I mean, as you can see in the NFL, a lot of these big plays are created when, when quarterbacks get out of the pocket and then are still looking downfield and are able to, to, to throw the ball downfield accurately. And, you know, I, that's, I think where the NFL is trending. So. And that was the last of our prospects. Any final thoughts on the show? I, I, I'm very happy with our interview. I think it went phenomenally. 
And obviously the top prospects was was fun because I did really want to ask about Kyle Trask versus I personally like Trask, but I don't know anything about anything. So, yeah, I mean, right now, you know, the way they're ranked, because I, I mean, I had Trask so far back that it, it was, you know, it's tough to just jump them 30 spots at this point, um, which honestly I did. But I mean. I, I rank more in tiers, which if you know, you know, the, the, the show or you follow the show, you know, that's how I rank in, in general. So the actual numbers don't mean much. If a guy is ranked 18th or 21st, they're probably in the same tier. So I take them all at the same point. It's just a matter of who you like more. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're both a little, I think old school though, in our, in our sense. Um, but yeah, I would much rather take the, the, ready to go passer. Like, I mean, I think Kyle Trask, granted, you don't want any rookie quarterback to start from day one. You just don't. But I think Kyle Trask has the ability to succeed from day one far more than these other two guys. And I've also put a lot of it on the offensive coordinator because like I was saying, I don't want an offensive coordinator to scheme any run plays for my quarterback. The the only time he runs is when he gets pushed out. I do not want you to (laughs) No run play option. You know, and that's one of the things that I'll give tons of credit to Biennemi and Andy Reid is that Patrick Mahomes is really athletic and mobile, but I feel like they don't scheme a lot of run play probably because of the knee injury last year too, but they don't want to scheme any run plays for him. It's like if he has to run out of the pocket, he has to, but we're not writing it up in the playbook that way. Well, so, and the crazy thing is too is they even do this wildcat formation where – He's not even the quarterback. He goes in motion like he's going to get the ball and fake run and all this shit. They still do read options, and people still fall for it every time, knowing like Patrick Mahomes is not going to run the football. Like He's not. He's not going to do it, Uh, but it works, man. They're geniuses over there. They really are special. And that is the show. I'm actually going to give it to you if you want to throw it to Kenny. Oh, it's on me. All right. Hey, yo, Kenny. What's poppin', man? How you living, dog? It's over!